Does anyone even use the word jog anymore? Like, except for uh, jogging. Oh, it might be jogging. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Center Ed Teaching. This week we've got a great podcast for you to follow up with our Growth Mindset podcast. We have Faith, who has returned to join me. Hello. And we have the increasingly confident Brian with us today. Hey, (laughs) y'all. So today we want to talk about navigating... (laughs) We're having a good time already. Um, So today we want to talk about how teachers can navigate, understand... Uh, utilize the parent student or parent teacher relationship because that's one of the things that often say you know educator reformers say we've got to do more to get parents and teachers in communication and teachers often want to do more to get parents but you know there become so many problems with being able to make that a reality so one of the things we want to do today is talk about again why these relationships are important and some effective ways to think about them but also unpack what are some of the difficulties and how can you work around them and then maybe come up with a few solutions to think about what are starting points for Mm -hmm. increasing um, parent-teacher relationships. Um, So I guess, you know, let's get started. Why are parent-teacher relationships important? Um, Parent-teacher relationships are important because uh, when it comes to, uh, I think, when it comes to any educational endeavor, the the parents and or the caregivers and the teachers are the primary supports for the students' learning. So um, whether they're academic supports, social emotional supports, even just um, like physical like base needs supports, the 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 caregivers at home, and I guess we're using parents as mm-hmm. shorthand for that. Um, uh, and the teachers really are the, the number one and one A, um, there and, uh, without a, uh, like sort of a, at least a, a collegial or not collegial, even though it is kind of a civil relationship there, it's going to be, um, you know, just a little bit problematic. Um, uh, also that, um, you know, if, uh, if, if there, you can build a team of support for a student mm-hmm. and that team, even if it's just a team of two of, you know, one caregiver and one, mm-hmm. um, one teacher, then it's two more than a lot of people have in this world. So, and if you can build a community of support behind the, that, that student, then it's so much the better. Yeah, I think that's a really actually great way to frame it is that you're thinking about what does the student support system look like and who has the most capacity to help that student and how can they work in a unified front to help that student. But then also, like, who who has the most contact with the student? I mean, mm-hmm. really, like, if you just want to boil it down to a numbers game, um, you know, the whoever's at home and uh, whoever's at the school, that's, I mean, not for nothing, we talk about teaching, teachers often serve in loco parentis, in the place of the parent, so then... You know, we, we oftentimes see our students even more hours of the day than they see their parents. Yeah. No, I, I think that's right, and I think that's really <clears throat> something important to highlight. Um, my, I guess my follow-up question is, what does an effective parent-teacher relationship look like? Um, is this something where parents and teachers are in nonstop communication? Is it whenever a problem arises? I guess what maybe is a general way to think about this? Um, I think, as is the case with all human service professions and endeavors, um, each of these relationships is going to ultimately be uniquely negotiated. Um, so uh, what are the standards within the community? 
Um, and then where the standards within different communities, as I say, there's the school community, but then there's the, um, you know, the town or the neighborhood. Um, what are the, the standards that uh, parents want from teachers? What are the, what is the level of communication that teachers feel like they want or need from, uh, from parents? So all of this is going to do with a, a constant negotiation of, of needs, desires, and boundaries around the communication that, mm-hmm. um, that, all humans are constantly trying to, to deal with. Um, so if, you know, I've had parents literally tell me to stop calling before. Um, and at that point, well, I just had no, no choice. I have to stop calling. So now what? Um, whereas I've had plenty of parents say they would love to hear more from me. So, mm-hmm. you know, and then how, what's the best way to reach them? And that's all yeah. to be negotiated. Yeah. yeah. I heard um, <clears throat> a parent recently talk to their um, child and say, when someday we're going to have to have some pretty tough conversations. We haven't had a lot until now. You know, they're like 10 and, sure. you know, and they said, so when, when we get to that point, I want to have practiced along the way. So <laughs> let's make sure we're talking, you know, when we have conflict with each other. And we, so when, when Matt, you asked the question about like, is it, do you kind of, as a teacher, do you wait until like there's an issue mm-hmm. to call home about or to reach out how, however that is? Um, that's what it made me think of is this idea of like, let's practice like this relationship. Let's have some Mm -hmm. first contact so that we at least know each other some somehow so that if it does come to that point or when there is a reason to talk about something more serious, we have a little practice. Yeah. I think those two responses in conjunction, if I can kind of paraphrase, kind of create this clear but nebulous picture, right? So it's the idea that you have to have a first contact. And Mm -hmm. what these relationships should look like is that no one is ever surprised Mm -hmm. when there's communication because there is that first familiarity. However, the extent of what the navigation of that relationship look like depends on the school context, depends on the community context, Mm -hmm. depends on the parent, depends on the child. So there are all these factors where it's hard to pin down specifically what it looks like, but there should at least be that starting point. Yeah, and it depends like what sort of structures and communication tools are uh, currently exist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and which ones people prefer. Some parents prefer email, some parents prefer phones, some parents prefer just um, kind of digitally keeping an eye on students' uh, grade book, um, right. and it'll all depend along the way with um, how much uh, information the teacher can put out to the parents along the way so that, as mm-hmm. you said, Faith, parents don't get surprised by bad news. Um, yeah. That's always when things get, um, well, dicey. Yeah. yeah, well, so, I mean... Building off this, so establishing kind of why these relationships are important and ways to think about them, you know, what are some of the things that make this difficult? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is just schedules. Yeah. The scheduling yeah. conflicts. Faith, I mean, can you speak to this? I mean, bit? I think right away, as if I were turning on this podcast and I saw the little subject about parents, and I'm a teacher, I'm <laughs> like, okay, they're going to talk about how I need to make the time to reach out to the parents and call everyone one time a month, and it's not going to sound like that much. But so yeah, scheduling is is obviously a big thing. Um, I, I mean, I think definitely one way, one practical way to look at it is to to look at your school and your classroom and think about what structures are already in place that I can use, that I can leverage to reach out to parents or maybe where parents are reaching in. Brian, you already mentioned um, maybe it's an electronic grade book Mm -hmm. and parents have access to that or it's a school website that has a portal or something and then they can look at their kids' work in some way. Mm -hmm. So it's going to depend on what structures are already there. 
Yeah, and the thing about schedules, too, is, um, you know, bell rings at 3 o'clock, the day is done. Mm-hmm. Are parents home from work by then? Right. Um, are they home from work by 5, by 7, by 9, by 10? Do they work the night shift? So, um, mm-hmm. as is the case with negotiating any communication, just, just literally syncing up the timing can be a challenging issue. Um, so, um, and then part of that just has to do with, you know, like, once you establish that first contact, like, when is the best time to call? Yeah. What is the best tool to use? Yeah, and it just makes me think about being sure not to try and go it alone, not to be Mm -hmm. in your classroom or at home after the day, um, and just by yourself trying to figure it out. So maybe at the beginning of the year, you have a few parents, you've made a first contact, and a few parents seem interested. Mm -hmm. Maybe you ask them, hey, could I ask you as we go along through the year just questions that may come up and and maybe you have more of an understanding of parents in the community and what life might be like because maybe it's Mm -hmm. different than what it's like for me, right? So um, that's one way that you can not be alone in doing it and also get some very helpful information. Well, and I think both of those bring up this interesting part of the schedule. I think a lot we focused on parent schedule and is the teacher workday aligned with the parent workday so that there can be those open modes of communication? But the flip side of that is, what about the teacher's mm-hmm. schedule? Because if parents aren't off work till 7 or 8, and the school day's over at 3, mm-hmm. and you actually stay after 2 or 3 hours working, that means you're putting in, hypothetically, another 2 hours or returning to work in 2 hours to make that phone call So, I mean, I don't totally know where to go with that next because that's one of the things that's so difficult. So, I don't know. Help me out here. Yeah, I there there is no easy answer for it. Um, uh, I, I One time as an experiment, I tried to work to my contract, um, mm. and it was impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, it was impossible for me. I, I suspect it might be possible for others. But parent communication was one of those things that had to wait for me until the mm-hmm. evening because mm-hmm. parents weren't off work. Um, and, um, it would frustrate me that I was working outside my contract. I just make air quotes, dear listener. Um, (laughs) but, uh, um, I started to think about it as, uh, an investment of energy that would return hopefully to me in the classroom. So for example, if I was making calls home because of a student who was disruptive in class, if that investment of the 20, 30 minutes call home at 730 meant that at 1.30 I didn't have to put out fires in my classroom. That made all the difference for me. So, um, yes, I preferred a quality of life where I would go home and cook dinner and yeah. you know do whatever it is else that I did at home in the evening. But um, uh, if it meant that like in the next day in class I was pulling out my hair, mm-hmm. I kind of wish I had made that phone call the night before. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I want to tie that into actually the next point that I think is interesting to talk about because I know when I was first a teacher and a lot of teachers that I've worked with since part of the problem was um, lack of comfortability Mm -hmm. and that could either be on the teacher's end feeling uncomfortable especially you know if you're a new teacher 22 23 years (laughs) old reaching out um, to a child's parent can be intimidating or that maybe the parent has had not positive experiences with the school district or their own schooling experience. Mm-hmm. So a call from you, even if it's the best intention, creates some of those problems. So thinking not just about the schedule, but also that personal element that makes these things difficult, what are ways to work through that? I mean, one of the things I think of this is, um, is to think about how you can build bridges. I know I'm going to go back to this first contact 
but the idea of um, how can you build a bridge so that the parent can reach you Mm -hmm. and you can reach the parent, again, without a lot of extra steps. So I keep coming back around to what do you already have in place that you might be able to bring the parent into? Um, And some of the lack of comfortability around like when it was me and I was first starting out, Mm -hmm. I mean, it took just a little bit of courage just to say, yep, I haven't worked with kids for 20 years and I don't have kids who are 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so um, I'm going to approach it as I'm a person, you're a person. I have some, I care about your kid and you care about your kid. Mm -hmm. So we have something in common and then just go for it and, um, and have a conversation. Yeah, and that's you know that reminded me of something in my my early career as well. Um, you know, we we joke a lot of times about like fake it till you make it and a lot mm-hmm. of things. And I think one of the areas where you simply cannot fake it is in like genuine interpersonal communication. Right. And this idea is like, no, this is only my second year teaching. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, I am quite young. No, I don't have any kids. Mm-hmm. I know I don't know how hard that is. Do you want to tell me a little bit about how hard that is? So like things like that. Like that's right. I. I just have to be who I am as yeah. an early career uh, mm-hmm. teacher or whatever I am in my in my journey and and be genuine with who I am and where mm-hmm. I am and what I'm here to do, mm-hmm. which is to help the kid learn. Can I phrase that just a little bit differently to, I guess, maybe reframe it within this parent-teacher relationship and the idea that it is a relationship. Yes. So when you're yes. calling home to the parent, it's not for you to say what you know, Correct. Yes. but an exchange of knowledge between the two. And I think getting back to the point where this started, that increases the comfortability because no one is claiming to be a, a superior role or yeah. claiming to have more knowledge that the other does not. But saying that I have this body of knowledge and this work, you have this body of knowledge and this experience, let's put them together in the best interest yeah. of the child. Exactly right. Um, to complicate this comfortability question, there can also be problems when the teachers do not look like the communities that they teach in. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you can have white students that are predominantly um, African-American or Latino or just non-white school. Um, that creates this kind of different environment. You could have a teacher of color in a predominantly white school, which creates this different environment. And so now we're talking about the comfortability being beyond just a a traditional parent and teacher relationship, but kind of the socioeconomic racial Mm -hmm. factors that are just in every part of our society. So (laughs) what's, what's the playbook for handling that? It's, for me, it's the, the same thing that we just said. It's it's yeah. just honesty and um, and intersubjective, respectful communication on all fronts. Um, uh, uh, you know, also complicating this are language barriers that can mm-hmm. that can mm-hmm. come into play mm-hmm. for communication mm-hmm. with the parent. Um, so, um, to the extent that. Um, why, yes, I am a 22-year-old white person calling mm-hmm. home, and I recognize that that might r- raise tension or cause problems or perhaps just otherwise be a thing we need to address before mm-hmm. we can go on. Like, just, I would always just try to put that right out there um, and say, well, here, here's who I am, here's my, it, as you said, my background and my mm-hmm. experience, and here's my job, and my job is making sure that this student learns. Mm-hmm. So right. let's right. talk about that and keeping the conversation grounded in, with that objective in mind. Like, what can we do together to best support your child's learning? Um, for me, just 
always come back to, to this notion. But yeah, I uh, uh, um, f- often found myself having to explain myself mm-hmm. or introduce myself, let's say, might be a better way to put it. Um, and that's just that's just how it is. There's no other like there's no other way to explain it. I think then, yeah. That's right. That's right. And I think that it makes me it makes me think that um, Brian, when you're talking about being honest, um, it's also about being vulnerable. Yeah. So Matt, when you were talking about, um, maybe maybe I was thinking about it as like what we symbolize to one another. So mm. if if a white teacher calls a student of color's parents or caregivers. You know, then, are what what are what are they symbolizing? If it's me mm-hmm. to me, or what am I symbolizing to them? But th- but when we're honest and mm-hmm. when when we try to introduce ourselves, mm-hmm. even if it's kind of time after time, yeah, it's it's revealing another part of ourselves. Yeah, maybe it's another part we don't know or that we're curious about or um, really listening and saying, yeah, tell me more about that. Working three jobs or, you know, whatever it is that they are sharing as like a frustration for them as well. So rather than letting it be a barrier, mm-hmm. let it be a way for you to understand the other person more. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's really helpful advice that even extends beyond parent-teacher relationship and just the way that we interact mm-hmm. with one another. Um, I guess the other thing that I find, or I found in my own practice, whether it was myself or with other teachers that made the parent-teacher relationship difficult was... As a teacher, there is never enough time in the world Mm -hmm. to do the job that you want to do. And so there, I I know at least for me in my career, I got to a point where I said I I have to create at least some block of time in the day or in the week where I, I don't, or I try not to think about my classroom. I try not to grade papers and constantly do that and spend time outside of that. And so if you're not making or if you're not making calls to parents now or you don't have a system set up as a teacher and you're listening to this the response is that's more time that like i i can't afford so to me that becomes a question of priorities um does this rank high as a priority when you're thinking about grading lesson lesson planning um i mean brian you had talked about it being an investment and maybe it's a return to that but i don't know i guess i would just be curious to hear your both both of your thoughts I think it is a priority, um, and like the investment language. Now that I'm hearing it back again, it sounds a little like cold or maybe clinical. Mm. Um, to to, I think more to what I'm getting at is um, education. Like all all all, education is relational, right? Like we were were teachers are not, or they oughtn't be. I think robots who are merely reciting facts mm-hmm. and figures for students to memorize. That the relationship with the student matters, and how you can best have the relationship with the student often means having a good relationship yeah. with the parents um, and like other family and other community mm-hmm. as well. So uh, uh, it's not a, the sort of job that is um, merely like transactional. It's relational, and so um, that's that's. It's part of what we have to do. Um, if a if a student doesn't trust you or a student doesn't care mm-hmm. for what you're saying, then your engagement their engagement is going to be less in your classroom, and the the same will go for engaging parents in this project of um, helping the students learn. Um, mm-hmm. People have to care. People have to care for each other, and um, teachers are are caregivers. So. 
Yeah, and whether or not, I think we were talking a little bit or alluding to like whether or not you live in the community or you don't, you are a part of that student's community. Mm -hmm. And their caregiver or caregivers are um, a part of their community. Like, and and so there's no getting around it, mm -hmm. you know. And so to me, like, it's an obvious priority. Yeah. And, and we, like, speaking about communities, like, we are all members of the same school community. Mm -hmm. That's so, right. So, yeah. and, you know, and as members of a community, we need to have mm -hmm. dialogue. Mm -hmm. so. so, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but almost what I'm hearing is that there's, in some ways, a false distinction between, like, you know, the community that is and mm -hmm. my, my world that, like, I'm living in that I might try to... Um, reserve time for. Maybe I'm mishearing what's said, but the, that to me is what it sounds like. Um, <laughs> that's a big question. It is a big question. Um, I, I, there's just never enough time. That's the, that's no. the, that's the bottom line. And, um, so you make as, as many contacts to as yeah. many people as you can, as often as you can, and and it's going to require triage and prioritization, yeah. um, not just of um, you know other responsibilities you have like grading and planning, but then also like within your your call list itself, right? Well, I I, I called Marcus's mom last week, but mm. I have to call her again this week. It's really unfortunate. Um, uh, or not unfortunate, but it's like I, I, I would love to make other calls to other mm -hmm. parents, but like because of Marcus's yeah. demonstrated need and in his relationship that I have established with yeah. his mother, I'm going to continue bumping him to the top of the call list because of a thing. So, um, where, uh, as is the case with all things in, in, in all of our lives, but I think um, especially for, for teachers and the many, many demands that, that land on them, got to prioritize, got to triage. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess moving this because we've talked about communication and I think the default has kind of been phone calls mm -hmm. but yeah, there are sure, sure, sure. but yes. there are other ways so because a phone call if <laughs> there is actually conversation I mean at minimum will be five minutes so yeah. are there other innovative ways that teachers can think about connecting with parents um, Faith, I know you were talking about something with projects earlier today. Yeah, I think that um, as I was thinking through this, um, I was like, okay, let, let's think about what already exists. What are you already doing in the classroom? And literally, what are you doing? So if you have a project, for instance, that kids are going to get involved in, perhaps there's a parent component that you could add to all of your projects in some way. Maybe that means that there's something that the student takes home and shows their parent mm -hmm. and then gets some feedback from them on it and then comes back and shares in a small group or something. This is the feedback I got. This is the way I may change it or may not change it. Um, and that could be applied to many things that you do in the classroom. So it's kind of like a one-time thing that you can start integrating. Um, that's what I was thinking as far as projects go. Yeah. <clears throat> and phone calls, you know, are, are, you know, more or less the classic, right? The yeah, note home or the yeah. phone call, but, um, you know, texting, email, yeah. um, uh, 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 maintaining a Maybe. classroom website, right. like there are, um, uh, tools like, um, like schedule and pupil path, which are like mm -hmm. online grade books. And mm -hmm. Faith had mentioned sometimes schools have grade portals. Um, all of these are tools that can be used. But for me, the question is, um, what is the best way to right. reach different people because people are going to have um, different priorities and um, um, maybe 
part of that early communication is establishing what are the norms. Like, so when I call Marcus's mom, I should only call between the hours of 7 and 9 because she's made that very clear to me. But I should definitely not, you know, call, you know, Ramisa's dad. I should mm-hmm. text instead because that's what he has indicated as his, you know, so figuring out what the parents' communication preferences are and mm-hmm. offering as many entry points as possible um, is going to hopefully get you as many contacts as yeah. you can. I think you were, you were mentioning something earlier, Brian, it just makes me think of it when you were talking about all the different ways, because I was thinking about keeping track of that with the parents, mm-hmm. but you were mentioning also office hours. I oh, think. yeah, yeah. And that's another way to do it. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I used to, to just, I mean, I would stay to school at five or six. I can't remember what it was, but um, uh, which were good early days there. Yeah. Um, uh. But uh, one thing that I put out there was that from five to six, I would be in my classroom working and mm-hmm. you could just drop in for, for office hours. And very rarely did parents take me up on that, but... Some did, and there I was, and then all of a sudden we could have a face-to-face conversation about the kid, and Mm -hmm. what a special treat that was. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think maybe what I'm hearing are kind of two parts is the one, you don't have to come up with the innovation necessarily with yourself. I think hearing from parents what is the best way to communicate with them, and then maybe bracketing, this is your group that you text, this is your group that you call, this is the group that is going to check the website, whatever it is, so that you're not necessarily having to take more time to do any of it, but you're being more effective and more efficient in that. Yeah, and I think record-keeping comes in really handy with that, especially, say, if you're teaching high school and you have 120 or more student contacts, mm-hmm. like, you know, on a class roster or on your um, make, a, make a spreadsheet or something where yeah. you put down communication preference as a thing and best time to communicate or mm-hmm. whatever those preferences are. That way you know that um, when you do need to get in touch with a particular um, parent, you know hopefully the best way to, to get in touch with them. And that all comes from um, asking the parents and, and, and listening and trying to follow through on that. But it can be hard to keep track of it all. Yeah, so I guess I was going to say something else, but you saying that has sprung to mind mm. something else that I mean I think has often been the go-to, and that is this idea of targeting which parents you communicate with. Mm-hmm. And so that may be saying, okay, the parents that I want to reach out to are students that present behavioral problems in the classroom. And so I'm going to try to call every two weeks, good and or bad, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So that we, we have a positive relationship there and that's ongoing. Or the students who don't do their homework, I'm, I'm going to call those parents mm-hmm. every couple of weeks to, to try to increase that. Um, I, I see the value in that. Is that something that teachers should continue to think about doing, or is that something that maybe is inherently full of problems? I mean, it's inherently full of challenges just because of the sheer amount of time and energy that that takes. Mm -hmm. Um, But if communication with the parent is an effective tool for for, um, moving the student in the direction that they need to be moved, whether that's a behavioral move or an academic move, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, then it's just it's it's in the toolkit. It's one of the things that the teacher can and should go to, um, you know, when it's appropriate. So, if the parent is not um, put off by an every two week mm-hmm. check in, um, then you know if that works for you and it works for the student, then go for it. Um, if the parent is put off by the every two week check in, then you need to adjust accordingly. It's um, there's there's no one way to do it and um, you just gotta f- 
figure out what works best for what people. It's 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 frustrating that there isn't sort of a, a, a magic wand or a magic bullet that sort of says if you do it this way it works, but it's just it's just not the case. Like I'm thinking right now of like you go to the office, you get the parent contact card, you call the number mm-hmm. and sometimes it's disconnected mm-hmm. or sometimes you get through or sometimes you leave a message and then do you put that you take the card back to the office and so yeah. How have you logged your call for yourself? How are you going to make sure you do it, you know, better or in the right time and all those things? It's 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 just work. It's just work. It's just work, and it's um, and I just keep coming back around to it. And it's mm-hmm. relational, mm-hmm. you know. And the you know great thing about teaching and about teachers is that we do care about the kids and we are Mm -hmm. invested in their learning and so if this is a way that it's gonna as you said brian like help move them then that's what we want to prioritize and yeah it's hard or it's complicated um but hopefully again we're not going alone going it alone we're um you know uh tapping our parents who are interested in being invested who are kind of um contacting us a lot and asking them questions and also our colleagues to say, what are you doing? What works for you? Um, somebody might say, I found this really great app. It helps me organize these things in a certain way. And then, um, so, so I think staying open that there could be another way to do this. Let me, let me keep trying these, you know. So, yeah, if so I can actually build on this different way to do it, um, it'll be the top article that we have in the show notes that posts with this pod. But there's actually a study this past fall that came out of TC where um, there is an experimental system that was connected to uh, the gradebook system. So Mm -hmm. every time, um, like, an assignment was missing or a student's grade dipped below a particular percent, there was an automatic notification sent to the parent um, so that there was that constant communication, but it wasn't necessarily incumbent upon the teacher to be able to track that every single second of every single day. Um, One of the other big things from this study was that they found that student absences from classes as opposed to day absences mm-hmm. were greater. So it's, mm-hmm. it would send a notification if a student missed a particular class, whether they were cutting or they had not been able to make it to school that day or, or whatever reason. So the parents were in the loop that way. So mm-hmm. I think in part of what you were saying with keeping open to these apps, I think there are things that are happening that can make the communication more immediate. Mm-hmm. But then... I think the role shifts to, do I have the right contact number? Does this parent yeah. have internet access? Yeah. Does So that this system that's in place can work. And if not, then maybe 75% of the class is automated and that 25% is you're reaching out with different methods. Yeah, and then all of this is taking, is kind of starting from a place of, of thinking about like a, a, a big city potentially. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if you live in a small town and you run into your, your students' families at the grocery store or at the mosque or at the football game or whatever then you know that you you are have different opportunities and different um uh, different ways to interact with families that we don't necessarily have um, yeah. in in bigger cities especially when students are commuting long distances to school so even if the teacher lives in the community where mm-hmm. the school is situated doesn't mean that the kid does as well right. um, yeah. and the opposite so um you know these are we're, we're addressing sort of like challenging parent communication that comes in sort of bigger systems but um it's not to say that there aren't challenges in in smaller communities um whether it's a smaller school or a smaller mm-hmm. city or town um but um you know uh, uh figuring out even just the right number to call 
is right. often uh, a challenge for us. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I don't know how much progress we made in this conversation, but I do think it's been helpful to think about some of these challenges and maybe possible workarounds or reframing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Well, yeah. oh, I interrupted. Jeez, that was really rude. No, that's okay. Just it's just typical. One, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I know. I just thought of another system that I, I can't believe mm. I didn't think of this mm-hmm. before. Um, you talk about not going alone. Mm-hmm. Um, teacher teams can yeah. do this too, right? Yes. So, for example, if there are five teachers who share the same student, one teacher takes point. Mm-hmm. So you, not every teacher has to call home every week or every night of the week. You can either say, designate, okay, Matt is going to be the person who calls home for Marcus. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can say, oh, hey, Brian, it's your turn to call home to Marcus. So mm-hmm. like figuring out either um, dedicated um, uh, groups of students who are belong, like caseloads almost, to the That's different right. teachers, yeah. or figuring out a rotation. Um, because odds are if a student is having a challenge in one class, they're having a challenge in another class as well. And so teacher-to-teacher communication about students can help cut down on the work that teachers have to do to contact parents. That's right. Um, so, sorry to interrupt, but I was like, oh, wait, that's how we used to that's, do it back at that right. school. Right. <laughs> it just came to mind. <laughs> no, uh, and that's incredibly, you know, helpful. Um, but as we kind of summarize this conversation, <laughs> it was helpful. It was. I truly mean that. Just a natural segue. Yeah. Um, But as we wrap up this conversation, are there any final or departing thoughts that it's helpful, whether it's big picture things to maybe help teachers frame this ever-expanding issue, um, practical things or other considerations? Yeah, I mean, one that sticks out in my mind is a question that a teacher asked me a long time ago, which is, um, uh, to whom does the child belong? Um, And that kind of sounds... well, it, it, it is a big question. The idea being is, does the child belong to the parents and the family? Does the child belong to the community, whether that's a really small, um, a small defined sort of group of people or geographic place or something larger? Um, and uh, what is the teacher's role in um, uh, supporting the student as they go? Like, also... Does the student belong to themselves, and mm-hmm. at what age does that mm-hmm. kick in? And you know, does a is a fourteen year old agency um, uh, undermined when you call home? And if your objective in schooling is to cultivate student agency, then perhaps a phone call home isn't the best play. So when do you know when it is? And it all is this really sort of um, you know, as you called it, it's a nebulous mm-hmm. sort of situation, and um, uh, it'll it'll be unique to, to each student and each parent and each teacher and it's just um, it's it's a it's a thorny thorny thing like calling home to uh, to a home of a, a six year old is different from calling home to a home of a sixteen year old mm-hmm. um, and a teacher a younger teacher versus an older teacher mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. these factors get jumbled into it and and ultimately if we want our students to be independent thinkers and doers. Um, how do calls home support that, and how can calls home undercut that? Yeah, and I would I would say also to teachers who are listening to treat themselves as we would talk about treating parents, and mm-hmm. that is um, without judgment, and um, 
take it easy on yourself, right? You're, you're, you're in education, you're there for the students learning, you're, you're thinking about how to reach out to the parents and how to do it in a, in a way that works for them, and you're already doing all of that work. So when you can't reach the parents that you're trying to reach, when you can't make the goal that you might have set that was a little too high, you know, um, then just be easy on yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to yell at a parent when they call you or, or um, get defensive with them necessarily mm-hmm. about it. So don't, don't do that to yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the thing for me that is just constantly sticking out is talking about this as a parent student or a parent-teacher relationship, but it's really there are three points mm-hmm. in this. It's the parent, the teacher, and the student. That's right. um, whenever I called home, good or not good or for whatever reason or made communication at home I always made sure that the student knew Mm -hmm. what was happening so that there was transparency because you are working with the parent but the goal is to work with the parent for the student right and so the student should constantly be part of that conversation and so I don't know if that really puts a band-aid on some of these issues that we've exposed and talks about or gives a practical means, but I think something that's just imperative to keep in mind is that the student should not be lost in this process. That's right, and I think, Brian, when you talked about the different ages, that there are mm-hmm. ways to do that, even at six, to mm-hmm. say, what do you think? I called your mom or I called your, your stepmom or whoever, mm-hmm. and, you know, to keep them in that in that loop and to really help the relationship between the um, people at home and the students in your classroom. Yeah, and not to continue to drag this on, but I think when you talk about that, it's also a great place for you as a teacher to get a data point on where a student is. One of the things that like I would say was, you know, I'm going to call your mom today. What do you think I'm going to say? And the student has this opportunity to reflect, and sometimes I would find that students were far more critical of themselves than I was, which opened up a question to me, was I doing something to make them feel that way? Was there something going on at home that made them feel that way? And so just that added conversation also added something for me. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So thank you for joining us, and we look forward to talking to you next week as we dig into one of the juiciest topics in all of education. (gasps) Tune in next week. Thanks, (laughs) y'all. Bye. Bye.